Hi, I'm Natalie. And I'm Chris. And, and this, this is, is the Paranormal, Paranormal Podcast. Podcast. A podcast experience for stoners with a taste for all things creepy crawly. How are you feeling tonight, Natalie? I'm very high. Wait, you're high for this podcast? Yeah. Well, this drain is called Jungle Punch, and the punch aspect is really kicking in. Yeah, I don't think I touched that one yet. Mm-hmm. You, uh, is it like, which one? Wait, I'm guessing you went Sativa? Yeah, it's a Sativa Dominant Hybrid. Of course you would go for the hybrids. Yeah, I like the hybrids. They're fun. They work for you and they keep you awake. They, um, still kind of knock me out. Everything knocks you out. Yeah. Even sativas. It's so easy for you to get knocked out on weed. I mean, well, weed knocks me out. Other boxers, not yet. No, that's true. That's true. In terms of boxing, no. But So, so far, so good. Um, we are going to flip the script a little bit today because Natalie and I have been wanting to try something out for the podcast, and we wanted to, instead of just giving each other the choice because I found a very specific one for yeah. kind of post-St. Patty's Day, Mm. that I didn't want to give her the choice. I want to make sure she picks this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we might start doing that more often, maybe, in the future. We'll start messing with it now. Maybe just around the holidays and we can just flip off with it. If anyone has suggestions or um, recommendations, if they like it or not, what's our email again? Paranormalpodcast at gmail.com. That one. So give (laughs) us any sort of feedback. Love to hear from our fans and see what you guys think. Yeah, it would be fun. So for this one, you are being told yeah. that we're doing a crime one today. Ooh. Um, especially being after St. Patty's Day, and it's a very big holiday, specifically in Chicago. Yeah. I was looking for some really cool, like, Chicago crime. Oh, like, Chicago. Like, I was thinking cryptid stuff with the whole St. Patty's Day. Maybe there might be, like, a leprechaun, like, horror thing going on. But, like, I don't know. You could always watch the terrible yeah. leprechaun movies and get the idea. I put a leprechaun, like, fact on our... Uh... Social media for Weed Wednesdays. We can so always watch was... Leprechaun in the Hood again. I don't know if I've ever actually seen that. You did because there was a really bad rap video at the end. Oh god! <gasps> Lep oh, in the Hood, up to no good. Lep, yeah, oh my god. With the really bad yeah, booty should... dancers. Oh yeah. We should see if we can watch that tonight. Okay. So we can do that today. We are going over the crimes, the crimes mm-hmm. plural of Leopold and Loeb. Leopold what? Leopold and Loeb. And Loeb? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so they met in the summer of 1920. 1920, okay. They both grew up in an exclusively Jewish neighborhood on the south side of Chicago known as Kenwood. Kenwood, okay. Mm-hmm. Pretty upscale neighborhood from what I've seen. Oh, okay. Um, That's neat. So, little background on both guys. Leopold was enrolled at University of Chicago at the age of 15 years old. Oh, holy shit. So he's a smart kid. On top of smart... He was the smartest of the smart. So he graduated with Phi Beta Kappa honors. I wasn't familiar with that one because I wasn't really the most academic in college either. But it's one of the nation's most prestigious honor societies, specifically for undergraduates. Okay. So even just to qualify, your GPA needs to be at a 3.8. Holy shit. Got it. Okay. Um, As an amateur ornithologist, he had two published papers at the Auk, which is a leading ornithological journal. Okay. So he's already published so he's, twice. Jeez, and he, that's by 15? think so, yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, also comes from a very wealthy and connected family. His dad inherited a shipping company. Oh, shit. And then made a second fortune uh, manufacturing aluminum cans and paper boxes. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's 
Okay. And by 1924, Leopold was already studying law at the University of Chicago at the age of 19. What the shit? Dude. Okay, so if Ali Wong were around when this kid was here, like, she would want to be uh, trapping that ass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone was suspecting that just this kid is so bright, like, he's absolutely going to law and going to have a stellar career. Yeah. Loeb... Very similar background. Okay. Came from a very wealthy family. Um, Loeb's father retired, or sorry, was a retired VP from Sears Roebuck and Company. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, estimated a fortune of about $10 million. Woo! Back in the day. Yeah, so I can't even imagine what that is now. $150 million Holy today. Holy shit. Also a wealthy lawyer by the oh time this was all going God. down. Oh my God. Um, Loeb was the third son of four boys, graduated high school at 14. Jesus fucking Christ. And attended University of Chicago that year. Holy shit. Their lives are just like kind of accelerated. Just it's so weird. Really bred for success compared to just like. Right. Really. Like there's definitely like the privilege that they grew up with too. But I mean, to have a brain like that, that's fucking amazing. I mean, I'm thinking, like, what was I doing at 15? Like, I had a, think I had a Super Nintendo by that time. Maybe Ooh. a Nintendo 64. And I was kind of good at Star Fox 64 maybe at that age. I'm not sure. I just can't remember. Oh, I just always had my nose in a book. Yeah. And, I, yeah. You were, like, read real books. I was, still, I was still in comic books. So that was it. Yeah. If it didn't have a picture, I wasn't in it. I mean, that was actually around my Twilight phase. I was definitely Team Edward. And that's embarrassing to admit now. <laughs> that's gross. Anyways. I know. <laughs> um, also, on top of being a pretty exemplary person already, Loeb was actually only earning mediocre grades at the okay. University of Chicago. Uh, he ended up transferring to the University of Michigan after a sophomore year. Um, stayed a pretty average student. Yeah. But also ended up becoming the youngest student to ever graduate the University of Michigan at the age of 17. Whoa. So, I mean, like, even if he... Because you said... Sorry, I'm high. So, you said that he... Oh, shit. Now well, I forgot so what I was asking. Transferred to the University of Michigan yeah. after, his second, after his sophomore year. So, was he, like, coasting in his glasses? Kind of just doing okay. Like, nothing really... Yeah. Apparently, he was pretty into like more of the social aspect of college you know? uh, playing cards well, that makes uh, sense. played tennis partied a lot because how Pre- old was he shoot like between 15 to 17 like yeah that's, 14 that's when he started college nuts like of course he would be more focused on the social aspect he's never had to go to high school right that's S- weird crazy life so yeah. um when Loeb returned to chicago in 1923 yes him and Leopold ended up getting back together and kind of, you know, reacquainting themselves with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so on top of renewing their friendship, they also became very intimate companions. Ooh. Is that like the official term that you found or whatever? They fucked. They were fucking gay. Okay. Yes. Um, and apparently awesome. it was really more one way than the other. The more Leopold learned about Loeb, the stronger the attraction became. Oh, but it wasn't the same for Loeb? It was, but just, it was a very... Loeb seemed to keep Leopold at, like, an arm's distance. Ah. Uh, a lot of times. Gotcha. Also, 
Leopold had a very unhealthy obsession oh, with no. the works of philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Oh, buddy, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, specifically, the entire concept of the Ubermenschen or the Superman. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Go on. Uh, specifically, the part about how because these are such supreme beings, mm-hmm. they stood outside the law in all regards. Oh, um, shit. Specifically, beyond a moral code that would restrict normal people like you and I. Okay. Goddamn. Even murder would be acceptable to these supermen if the deed gave them pleasure. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Okay. Off to a good start. Yeah. So, especially with what we have coming up in April, how do a lot of really good ideas end up getting kind of hashed out? Oh, I, I don't know. What are we doing in April that is the answer to that question? Really freaking long road trip. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we're going on a road trip. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So, fast forward to November 10th, 1923. November 10th. Okay. Um, Leopold and Loeb were in the middle of a road trip. Good. Specifically driving from Chicago to the University of Michigan, which is about a six-hour drive at that time. Fuck. They were going to burglarize Loeb's former fraternity, Zeta to Beta Tau. Why? That's so... Drive six hours just for that? Because at this point, both of them were together, and Loeb was really getting off on a lot of the um, heavy crimes. Like, he just got the thrill of the rush for stealing stuff, breaking stuff. Um, Stand-up guy already. I know, right? He seemed like such a good lad. But now, okay. And after driving six hours... All the way to go to the uh, fraternity and rob them blind, they made out with, here's the list. Oh, no. $80 in loose change. <laughs> a few watches. Some pen knives. Oh, my God. And a typewriter. And a typewriter. Okay. I mean, all of those make sense, but I don't know exactly what they were expecting to burglarize from a frat house anyway i mean if i drove six hours i'd hope to get more than 80 bucks like right? that would that would might not even cover gas at this point for us yeah probably also keep in mind this is 1923 yeah so the 80 bucks converts to about 1200 bucks today okay well that's that's fair so you still came up but like not worth i don't even know if that's worth six hours worth i wouldn't know let alone i mean the snacks for the road trip maybe at the stop somewhere maybe not yeah i don't know it just uh wait fuck what was i talking about i don't know the heater turned on yeah you got distracted okay sorry back on track so yeah uh actually the typewriter is coming back so hold on to that thought oh god did somebody get bludgeoned with it Hold on to that thought. <laughs> so, while on this road trip, mm-hmm. Loeb had the perfect idea. Sorry, the idea for the perfect crime. Okay. Which, from every single movie I've seen, whenever some criminal has an idea for the perfect crime... It's, it's probably the worst idea in the concept of ideas. It's going to go bad. Yeah, it's going to be real bad. Now I'm really excited. So together, they had already committed several burglaries 
set fires a couple times. Oh, of course. But because they were, you know, I mean, they clearly weren't doing this for the money. They were yeah. well off. They were, Loeb's was, Loeb was specifically upset because they had never made the papers with any of their crimes. Oh my God. You know who Loeb reminds me of? Remember the girl in Pitch Perfect, the super quiet one who just like whispered to the, in like somebody's ear? The Asian beatboxer one? The Asian one, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I set fires to feel joy. <laughs> that one. Oh, she, she always had yeah. the best one-liners in that, in that movie. Uh, so, Loeb came up with the idea, the perfect crime that would get all of Chicago talking. Okay. And... What kind of crime gets people talking? Um, and this I is back know. in the day, keep in mind. So we're not talking like anything like blown up a building or like something, but... Wait, when is this again? 1923. Oh, well, I mean, that was possible. So that's actually what I was going to go with, was blowing up a building. They wanted to kidnap someone wealthy. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair too. That never ends well. Specifically, a child. Oh, of course, because Loeb is such a stand-up fucking guy. And they were going to murder that child. Oh, buddy, come on. And they were going to try to collect ransom from the parents or the family. Oh, I mean, I assumed that, but you're going to try to collect ransom after you kill a child? Like, this guy's a dick. (laughs) You think? (laughs) So... Leopold and Loeb spent about seven months planning every single detail, coming from actually how to kidnap someone properly to every minor piece of disposing of the body. Jesus. Um, so they came up with, you know, with, especially with the ransom piece, mm-hmm. they decided about $10,000 at that time would be a lot of money for them. Yeah. And these get them noticed, which would translate to about $153,000 today. Woo! Decent ransom. You're getting away with it. I mean, I don't know about us living in Washington, because that... What? We couldn't even buy a place with 150k, (laughs) No, we we couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) So, on top of all that, they also came up with a ridiculously intricately complicated way to collect the money. That included a long series of, like, delivery instructions, complex things to do this and that to be communicated once at a time by phone. So they actually did try hmm. to map a lot of like stuff out so they wouldn't get caught. This is like sociopath to the extreme. I mean, really, like you're so desperate for that thrill that you're going to plan this out for six goddamn months? Seven. Seven months. Oh, my God. That is bananas. So let's fast forward to the actual event. Yes, please. May 24th, 1924. Oh, boy. Okay. So they decided... Obviously, they were going to choose a victim. Their perfect victim was going to be Robert Bobby Franks. Robert Bobby Franks. Okay. A 14-year-old son of a wealthy Chicago watch manufacturer, Jacob Franks. Okay. Uh, Robert Franks was also Loeb's second cousin. Oh, my God. Really? We're doing this with family? And lived across the street. From them? Yeah. Like, same oh, neighborhood. Oh, my God. And like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, like, used to play tennis at Loeb's house. Oh, my God. It just it just keeps... Everything's piling up. Mm-hmm. It's not stopping. Oh, sorry. Missed the thing. Uh, oh, God. The murder weapon they, was going to use, they were going to use was a chisel. 
A chisel. Oh, man, I thought you were going to say typewriter for some reason. Oh, that's coming back. Don't worry. So they did, you know, there was a lot of planning involved. They rented a car under a fake name, uh, ended up driving around and just saw Bobby and wanted to pick him up. Um, Leopold was the driver. Loeb was the one who was sitting in the backseat with the chisel. Okay. Uh, There's a lot of different reports on what exactly went down, but quick easy version that the courts approved of was franks was stabbed several times in the head with this chisel oh my god stayed alive so Loeb was forced to grab him drag him into the back seat oh. and had to gag and strangle him <gasps> till death oh my god so, to dispose of the body they drove to wolf lake in hammond indiana okay about 25 oh battery's dying one second uh-oh it was about 25 miles south of chicago yeah. Where's the charger place thing I plugged this in? On the other side. Under the USB. Down down towards the bottom. There you go. Technical difficulties. <laughs> We're back. Thank you. Ding. So, got confused? Yes. After nightfall. After nightfall. They discarded of Frank's clothes <clears throat> and hid the body by the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks. Why? Why would you do that? Ah, that would be a good place to dispose of it. Also, here comes a kind of <coughs> crazy planning for this, too. Okay. They also knew to pour hydrochloric acid on both the face and the genitals of the body. <gasps> oh. Specifically because, you know, being a Jewish family, they were yeah. going to hide the fact that the kid was circumcised. Oh. Like, that's, that's the kind of crazy level of planning that goes into seven months of just being yeah. an asshole. That's really oddly specific. And now, for the fuck up. Okay. While disposing of the body, Leopold's glasses fell out of his jacket. Are you fucking kidding me? That's what fucked them up? These two are goddamn idiots. Oh, just wait. So again, seven months of planning, right? All this goes down. The next day of after all this happens or the day after, a passerby finds Richard Franks' body. Well, of course. The Fuck police investigation idiot. found the glasses and... Okay. Let's see. Only three people had the actual hinges of the glasses that Leopold, you know, that the police had found. Okay. So the state attorney, Robert Crow, ended up figuring out exactly what was going on, whittled it down that it was Leopold and Loeb as prime suspects. Yeah. And then 10 days after the murder, on May 31st, 1924, Leopold and Loeb had confessed to the state attorney, Robert Crow that they had killed Bobby Franks. Oh, my God. And how they had done everything, including even typing up the ransom letter with the typewriter. That they stole. That they stole. Oh, my God. But we're not. Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, of course there's more. Uh, It turned out to be a major media spectacle because uh, Crow, the attorney general, or the state attorney, wanted a political career. Was hoping to move up the ranks. So it ended up being the third case to ever be named trial of the century at that point in time. Holy shit, and I've never heard about it. Crazy one. Like There were a couple other ones that was online, didn't really want to focus on those. Crow believed that the extremity of the case... And the fact that this would be presented as, quote, the most complete case ever presented to a grand jury or petite jury. Okay. That the, he expected it was going to be an easy, like, 
hanging and just, you know, yeah, death definitely. sentence for both I mean, Leopold and Loeb. Yeah. Loeb's family, oh, buddy. having a shit ton of money, oh, no. hired a man named Clarence Darrow to lead the defense team. Clarence Darrow. He just has a terrible name. He sounds like a bad person. Actually, not so much. Really? After reading Darrow. This one, that just sounds like a really dark last name. Kind of. But oh. Darrow was chosen because he was known for being a staunch opponent against capital punishment. Oh, okay. The trial ran for 32 days. 32? Damn. However, it wasn't even an official trial. It was well, technically a sentence hearing because Darrow had the boys plead guilty. Okay, so he just turned them in, I guess? Just wanted them... Like, I'm guessing that was to help his career somehow. Well, a little bit. Well, definitely because, you know, these being young boys, he wanted to present the fact that maybe they shouldn't be put to death. Yeah. I Um, mean... Okay, that's that's kind of smart. Crazy concept. Like, yeah, like this I go- wouldn't like, have thought about that. I, from what I was researching, like the trial alone, yeah, could have been like two to three po- like episodes if we were really doing a lot of like the criminal stuff. That was a lot of insane work. So I'm yeah. leaving most of it out of this podcast for the record. Oh d- well, yeah, I don't think we have the time to go through all that. Oh no, but the state attorney Robert Crow was able to present over a hundred witnesses. For Over one hundred, just in this thirty-two How? day process. Yeah, How? thirty-two days. I mean, he brought people in after people. Was really trying to showcase that these that Loeb and uh, Leopold should hang. Okay. Um, Darrow's defense had a very unique angle on the case. Yeah. And he was presenting expert witnesses who were cataloging Leopold's and Loeb's abnormal activities and behaviors. What do you mean? I mean, just a lot of the degenerate personalities, like, you know, if you're young and you're rich, why are you committing these crimes? Oh, okay. So just different aspects. So, like, not even pleading insanity, but actually just like, no, we are guilty. They did the crime and it's terrible. Yeah. But this is their mental state. Huh. Okay. Right? Crazy. This is what happens when you have, yeah. like, crazy money for the defense. Um, so what ended up happening on the last day is known from Darrow's entire crazy, like, um, I guess, background in history as a lawyer, the conclusion of the hearing also presented Darrow's finest speech of his career. Ooh, good for him. That lasted 12 hours long. Okay, fuck that guy. What the hell? I mean... What the fuck was that? Had to present... Well, this is the catch. He had to present a lot of things, specifically focusing on the inhumane methods and punishments of the American justice system, and the okay. youth and immaturity of the accused. Oh, buddy. And it took 12 fucking hours? I mean, that's kind of a rough... I mean, especially with how crazy the case is. I mean, they're still very young. You're getting some kids who, you know, were fairly... I'm assuming kind of sheltered. Yeah. Had a really rich life. Got thrown into college super young and graduated pretty young, too. Yeah. On both ends. That's true. So, come to the conclusion of the hearing... September 10th, 1924, the judge sentenced both Leopold and Loeb to life in prison for murder and an additional 99 years for kidnapping. For kidnapping? Okay. So that's a wrap. These guys are done. Yeah, so they're really done. So that's awesome. Except we're not done yet. Oh, fuck. 
even though they went to prison, yeah, they actually both had a very, very different experience in prison. Oh, no. <laughs> I can see the questions going on right now. <laughs> so again, you know, after looking at it, Leopold was this really, really bright kid, had an amazing, promising academic yeah. career, uh, was going into law. Loeb, a little bit more of the degenerate on the side, mm-hmm. wasn't shining, but, you know, still had a pretty good mind on him. So both were held at Jolie Prison and eventually separated and transferred to Statesville Penitentiary separately, but ended up there at the same time. Oh. And once See? reunited, they were able to expand the prison school system, including adding a high school and junior college curriculum to what? it. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. So, like, not completely the... I mean, they did some very dirtbaggy, like, death-worthy things at that point. I mean, they murdered a child. child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was rough. But, you know, like, that whole prison reform thing might have been a case there. I guess so. I mean, they also might have been, like, doing the things that they wished they could have done, like, before they killed a child. You know, because they never got to just, like, experience high school. They never got to just, like, they weren't college kids, you know? Yeah, they got together and, and so they just decided to do bad things. They just, yeah, do bad things. Um, But, um, I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to make up for that by um, getting those curriculars into the prison with them, I guess. And then now we get into the fork in the road. Oh. Okay, here we go. Poor Loeb. <laughs> Debatable. But anyways. <laughs> January 28th, 1936. Almost eight years after after the sentencing happened. Okay. Loeb was attacked by a criminal named James Day with a straight razor in the shower room. Holy shit. Uh, Day ended up coming out unscathed from the altercation. Yeah. Loeb, was, Loeb had sustained more than 50 wounds. Most of them defensive cuts on his arms and hands. Holy shit. Um, lethal blow seemed to be the slashed on his throat that came from behind. I mean, it could be lethal. It could be non-lethal. You don't know. Oh, no. He died that day. Oh, he did. He got He did. Okay. Contrary to that, Leopold served 33 years in prison before winning parole in 1958. No. No. Really? How the fuck is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, what? What? Oh, this You is... have that look on your face, and I don't know if I trust you right now. I mean, this, I'm, I'm about to drop facts on you, so okay. these are... Yeah. Okay, here we go. So after hearing about uh, Loeb's death, Leopold ended up going into a very severe state of depression. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And then ended up become, become, yeah, excuse that, English. Okay, whoa. And boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> uh, Leopold ended up becoming a model prisoner. Okay. And continued to improve the Statesville penitentiary conditions. Oh. So, you that's know, be- interesting. before they ended up doing the whole um, helping to expand the prison school system, right? Yeah. All right, here come lists. Oh, buddy, okay. So Leopold ended up reorganizing the prison library. He did revamp the school system even more. He ended up teaching some of the students in the prison system. Okay. And he also volunteered in the prison hospital regularly. Wow. Okay. He sounds like student body president. (laughs) Oh, you think we're done? (laughs) Upon being released, by 1959, Leopold had 
moved out to Puerto Rico. Okay. As a medical technician. Oh, geez. He kind of changed his name, went by Nate at that time. Okay. And was a lab and x-ray assistant at the Casanera General Hospital in Ajuntas, Puerto Rico. Neato. He moved to Santurce and married a widowed florist. Mm. Uh, earned a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico, where he also taught classes. Oh, shit. He became a researcher in the social service program of Puerto Rico's Department of Health. Jesus, so he really, like, turned his life around. He worked for an urban renewal and housing agency. Fucking Christ. He also did research on leprosy at the University of Puerto Rico's School of Medicine. That is so weird and specific, but oh my god, that's amazing. That's a lot. That's a lot. And then passed away due to a diabetes-related heart attack in August 29th of 1971. Damn. At the age of 66. Damn. And donated his corneas upon death. He what? Donated his corneas. Part of of his eye. Yeah. So he still donated his body to science. He continued to give even after death. Yeah. Despite how just... So, you know, now we're kind of questioning, you know, was Leopold really that much of a dirtbag? Was it um, Loeb's influence, maybe, that got to him? I'm guessing it, like, in for him, like, getting released early, I'm guessing it also had to do with the... There was probably some charge that was left out for Leopold because from what you said, it sounded like he was more of an accomplice rather than like an active participant in the kid's death. Oh, no. They both got the same because they were both planning it. It's just Leopold was the driver. Uh, Loeb was the one who did the stabbing. But, I mean, they both disposed of the body. They had planned everything together. That's fair. I didn't think about disposing the body. Equal partners in crime on that one. Plus, I mean, Leopold was a dumbass who dropped his glasses. That's true. It. I feel like that's, like, the only glaring thing that, like, he was on board with. It feels like it was Loeb's idea, and he was the one really doing the planning. But, and... but that was the thing. Loeb came up with a lot of these ideas. Leopold yeah. was there, almost like the ride or die, for almost everything. That's, that's what I'm saying, is, like, he he was the ride or die. He wasn't the one who was thinking this was an entirely good idea at the time. Like a teenage Bonnie and Clyde, except terrible. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, I guess. Idiots. So, uh, I guess stay in school? No, that doesn't even apply because they stayed in school and they ended up being terrible anyways. Don't feel bad about being average because then you're not going to end up as a fucked up uh, kid who never got to experience high school or be a college kid and just developed a weird personality disorder. Or if you're going to idolize somebody, Clark Kent Superman is a pretty good one. Nietzsche's Superman, not so much. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not go for that. Rather not. Yeah. So how'd you like that one? It was really good. I'm really high, and I'm I think I forgot a lot of things, but it was a fun one. I've noticed this strain seems to make you a lot more forgetful, or just your attention span doesn't little, seem to be as good. Yeah, I'm a little tonight. distracted. Jungle Punch is kind of giving me a I'm punch drunk. Huh. I've been punch <laughs> drunk. It's not fun. Ending the memory loss probably explains quite a bit. Yeah, well, there we go. I'm kind of surprised you're not even distracted by the cats tonight. Like, Anrin oh, I've been is distracted little... by him the whole night. And Anrin's like, he's curling up, but he has his big paw over his face right now. And Which he big has paw? like, it's his left one. His left paw has three extra toes. So he's like trying to cover his eyes, but he can't do it because his toes are so big. Is that the one that grips really well? Yeah. And then Levi was over here, and he had, like, his head upside down, so I could see both his little fangs. 
so don't cute. think I wasn't distracted by the cats. I'm always distracted by the cats. Oh, I know. And I got to tell the story. So you just got to listen and just yeah. be super it was stoned. Fun. Yeah. Which one was, what was this one called again? Punch? Jungle Punch. Jungle Punch by? I don't remember. What a surprise. Yeah. Eh, it's fine. All right, everyone. Well, that's the podcast that we had for you tonight. Hope yeah. you enjoyed it. This is Chris and Natalie signing off. Bye. Bye.